Welcome to the Viewpoint Podcast with your host, Henry Grosek. Welcome to the Viewpoints listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosick. It's me great pleasure to welcome regular guest back to Viewpoints, Dr. David Roy from the School of Education in the University of Newcastle, New South Wales. Welcome again to Viewpoints, Dr. David Roy. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to speak to you, uh, Henry, and to your listeners, and also to Rob in the booth recording everything. Oh, absolutely. He does such a fabulous job there. Now, David, it would be remiss of us at this point in time not to comment on what's happened to New South Wales, Queen, Southern Queensland too, but uh, Newcastle isn't too far, I wouldn't think, from the devastating floods we've had over the past two weeks. And there's a lot of issues involved in that, but you might like to let us know how things are in Newcastle and, and lead the discussion on the implications of these floods. Well, I mean, for us uh, in Newcastle, um, there's been a little bit of disruption within roads in the main actual town and in Lake Macquarie. It's been more around the rural areas just outside, such as Singleton and Maitland and Raymond Terrace and Karua, and then going up towards Port Macquarie and down to the central coast. There's been some real issues of people being trapped in houses and, and, and some real danger to life. Uh, I, I, working at the university here in Newcastle, um, I've had a number of students who've, who've been genuine in their contact to say, I can't come to Joel today, I'm cut off by the rain. And as always, um, because so many drivers um, are used to just driving in sunny conditions, unlike, say, in the Northern Hemisphere, which... To give, a, to give a little secret to the listeners, my accent originates from there. Um, we're used to driving in the rain. When there's rain, when there's a change in conditions, slow down. Take your time on corners. Don't zoom everywhere because our roads are built for heat and amazingly so. Um, but you just got to drive to the conditions and, and live to the conditions and be prepared. It's, the, the bigger thing is it just reminds me why we need education. Uh, because <laughs> this is all due to climate change. And there have been the odd commentary saying, if the, if it's global warming, why are we getting so much rain? What a myth. And you kind of have to remind, the reason there's so much rain and moisture is because the oceans are heating up, which releases more moisture into clouds that travels across. When it hits land, it drops. It's one of the most foundational scientific ideas, the water cycle, that gets taught in primary school. And we're going to get more of these extreme weather events with droughts, followed by heavy flooding um, as we warm up the atmosphere, which is why we actually do need to do something about it educationally and, and maybe have a bit more science teaching. Yes, that's a good point. And yet what you're telling us also isn't entirely new news. And um just no. on the, the broader topic of education being, if you like, uh, part of our toolkit for improving our conditions and, and, and our relationship to the planet, we've, we've, been, we've been doing this for some time. Um, mm -hmm. So where are we going wrong with our education? Because every time something goes wrong, David, um, and you're, a, you're a, in the field of tertiary education, we get told, oh, now there's another lesson for the educationists. It shouldn't be our, our job to kind of teach it all those basic <laughs> facts. It, people should be able to learn to have literacy so they can pick up a book 
and read something which has actually got some empirical evidence to it. Uh, I, I liked old newspapers. They had editors. Um, the internet is much more unfettered. And so it's now the point that we don't deal with facts, we deal with opinions. And it's all to do with respect of knowledge um, coming down to it again. We should not be surprised what is happening in Ukraine. We've seen this pattern before. Every 100 years when we have a, a global financial challenge, like in the 1920s, it then reads, leads to countries becoming nationalistic, imperialistic, building up their defences and then attacking each other. We're just seeing a repeat because we need to learn from history to say we need to stop these things and work as a, as a community to survive. Um, it's all down to education. It's down to learning and people not relying on others to do the learning for them, but to actually do it for themselves. And what we should do in schools is give people this, the tools, and we do do that, to try to think for themselves and, and just be a bit more respectful to one another. In, in terms of what you just said, can I throw a little curveball at you? Go for it. Um, when I was a youngster um, back in the 60s, we used to have soldiers from the Second World War come and share their stories of Armistice Day in November mm -hmm. and also the Anzac uh, stories. And we were told then that the First World War, and it was drummed into us, should, was the Great War, the war to end all wars. And, of course, we said, but you had the Second World War. And they said, yes, we have. And then as I've grown up, there seem to be wars going on forever. And every year we go through in schools this this conversation about how important it is to learn the lessons of the past about warfare. Yet when I read the history books, humankind has barely had 30 years of peace uh, in, in recorded history. So is it just about education, I guess, is my curveball? In, in some ways, I think it is. Um, but it's about, it's about education and respect. I, I know because there's a history buffing me and a part of my learning is to do with history and the humanities as well. The Second World War was really just a continuation of unfinished closed business from the first because after the First World War, the Treaty of Versailles, Germany was, was, was penalised and punished for being the loser and it set up the chain of events that led to the resentment that built into the Second World War. I look at South Africa and the end of, uh, of apartheid there and instead of retribution, they had reconciliation. And although South Africa has got its own internal problems, they didn't have the kind of revenge aftermath that one could have expected from the ending of apartheid. And I just think that that kind of admitting to your flaws and asking to say sorry and, and reparation in a way that they encourage you to do in Alcoholics and Anonymous, you know, to, to seek reparation for the wrong that as an alcoholic has done to an individual or a family. There's a way that we should do that. We should be forgiving and um, not necessarily forgetting, but forgiving to allow us to move on. Something that the contestants of Married at First Sight don't really seem to be able to do either. Um, and I think it's an important lesson. If we want to move beyond repeating the schemas and the mistakes of our nation, of, of our countries, of ourselves and our own relationships. We need to move beyond the past. Mm, that's a good point. Now, now we've had COVID for two years plus. It's still, mm -hmm. it's still around. That's really knocked people around the, the globe. We've now got this terrible conflict in the Ukraine with uh, 
a very delicate balance on a lot of fronts mm-hmm. there. I talk to people and there's, um, and we've just come out of um, what's happened in Afghanistan with the withdrawal of uh, the US troops. There's, there's almost, I'm finding among some people, uh, I'm overwhelmed. I don't want to think about these things anymore. Where are we heading, do you think, at the moment? It's a hard one. When you, when you look at the world around us, and the challenges from floods, pandemics, war, there'll be some will say we're in the end times. We're just in human times. As you sadly said, we we have gone through these things and what we have to do is, and all this is, is take it in perspective and say, what can I impact? What can I change? What can I not? And you cannot fret about what that which you have no control over and you do what you can within it, whether that is you wear a mask, um, even though it might not be mandated, uh, doesn't mean it's mandated for you to take it off either. We know it has a, a supporting role within containing the, the pandemic, just as they've discovered in the UK that the number of school children who are now getting COVID is going through the roof because they've removed all the masks. And I worry what's happening in Australia because we're not reporting on it. So you do what you can to safeguard your family. We intervene where we can that it is safe for us to do so. Um there will be wars. We will survive as a human race because, uh, unless we're incredibly stupid, um, <laughs> but there are some things that we just can't control and we just have to say, do I let other events control how I feel or do I take control of my own feelings and look for the positives and the hope? And, and as I say, I've said to you before, I wake up in the morning and I go, I'm breathing. It's a fresh day. There's fresh coffee. Whatever happens, at least there's something there that's, that, that I can be thankful for. So look for the joy. Don't, av- don't avoid the sadness, but don't let the sadness consume you. Mm-hmm. It's a bit, again, going back to that reparations. Don't let bitterness of the past create a toxin in you because toxins mm-hmm. kill. So how's the tertiary sector doing now? <laughs> we are we are travelling forward. We have now moved into the main undergraduate semesters, all starting for students. We have students on campus. It is hard to find a parking place on campus, and that's a joy because you see people face-to-face, um, adults, young adults furthering forward in their adulthood and growing and developing. Uh, you, you see colleagues coming in and collaborating and working and, and life is becoming back to normal with certain restrictions around it because of the pandemic still going on despite it not being headline on the news. So the higher education system is starting to pick up. International travel is restarting. We are beginning to get international students coming back. We will find a new equilibrium and normality um, Students will complete their year 12s. They will then go on to jobs and into further education. People will leave university, get jobs. Light, uh, there'll be families and, and lots of lovely things happening. We're going back to a normal, and that's just a nice thing to happen. Mm. Now, you've, you've raised a really good question that also in our sector has, uh, has been uh, asked, David, and that is when we find this new equilibrium, um, uh, where we settle, or back to a new normal, as we call it in, in down here. Um, to what extent do you think the new normal will be like the old normal, and to what extent will it not be uh, the same as the old normal, in your opinion? 
I think there will be a greater use of remote technology in all educational systems. That will be the new normal, that we'll have a more diverse way of engaging with our students because they have realised the power of technology and us older folks are now having to kind of catch up with the young folks mm. and, and realise that. What worries me about a return to the old way is the disrespect for the public services, that it was the health professionals, it was the educators, um, it was the cleaning staff who kept Australia going uh, when everything else was shutting down. And because they are funded often from government, they are being funded below inflation and they are not getting recognised. And in a society that we have, we value jobs once we forget what someone has been doing in the immediate event of a, of a, of a crisis, we start to value again by their wage. So if we want respect to be given to our nurses, if we want respect to be given to our teachers and our educators, um, even our lecturers at university, we need to actually respect them financially. So I get really concerned uh, when I hear stories such as from Victoria as the union caving in to cheapen the workforce while they say we need more respect for the workforce. Well, respect comes both emotionally, but it also comes practically and physically. Mm. And if we want the best of the best remaining in our schools, uh, because I, I really get upset by people saying we need better teachers in our schools. We have great teachers in our schools, but to keep them, we need to pay them. If, it, if it's better for a teacher to leave education and all the training they've had and experience and retrain as a plumber, and earn a lot more and make money back within three years of having done that, we have a problem in society. Mm. There was a recent report on that published, uh, I think, in The Australian, where mm -hmm. uh, a particular institute said uh, from their research, it's not about paying teachers more. It's about um, career structure. It's about resources. It's about training, but it's not about wages. Is that, um, is that uh, mischievous and dangerous? It's very mischievous. It's, it's playing with semantics. Yes, it's about career structure. Part of the career structure is being allowing staffing to be promoted and recognise their experience without taking them out of the classroom so they can get more money. That's why you want promoted. You, you, you want more responsibility. You want to share your wisdom and also get paid and recognised for that. And at the moment, we promote the best out of the classroom which kind of is stupid. Um, so they're right that we do need a better structures, but we also need better wages. And teachers do have a good starting wage. Let's not, let's not um, deny that a fresh out teacher gets a better starting wage than sometimes a fresh out lawyer, but it doesn't stay that way. And very quickly they hit the ceiling and after five years they're going, well, where do I go now? Um, particularly if you cannot afford to live within 30 kilometres of your school because of the housing costs, or sometimes it's 50 kilometres. So there is that challenge. Um, and yes, it's always interesting to see who's provided that report and if they have some form of ideological bias. And um, I saw that report and it did come from a perspective where they value, how shall we say, the selling of houses more than the educating of children. Mm, yeah, I'd agree with that. On another topic and I, that, that I'm sure is of interest in your profession, ours and many others, um, there's 
There's a report around that's showing um, anecdotal evidence at the least that uh, people, more and more people in the public service and other industries and professions too, are wanting to, where possible, work from home or uh, Mm -hmm. telecommute, if you like, and that this remote uh, uh, relationship that they have with their clients, customers or whatever um, is, is actually... Um, being questioned as beneficial. Uh, it's an interesting one where they want to work away from home, want to work from home more, and yet uh, some of the evidence is that people are missing out on the direct contact with people and that's causing some concern. What's your view about the you know, work from home, work from uh, the site? I, I think it's going to be a balance. Um, it's a bit similar to what we were saying earlier in education, that the changes that we'll have with more use of technology. I think it's never um, either or. It's never a binary choice. For some people, they are more productive when they're in an environment away from their house, in a workspace. For some people, it is more they're more productive when they're away from the distractions of other people in their workspace. For some clients and that includes kids in classrooms as well as as just us in our day-to-day life, we prefer the Zoom, the remote learning. I don't have to travel um, to Sydney and Melbourne and, and Brisbane as much as I ever had to because I can deal with things remotely and it means I can actually be part of more groups and, and, and learn from and share more within those groups because I can work through Zoom or Teams or Skype, whatever the system that's being used. And I do work partly remotely from home. Uh, and I, I like that experience. I find I actually do more work and spend more hours because I've got an ongoing coffee machine here. Mm. We just have to find the balance. Um, employers can save money. And so I worry about them forcing people to work remotely so they don't have to have so many, shall we say, physical buildings. Um, I worry about people who have coffee shops and restaurants that kind of feed the workforce if they're going to be working remotely. But that money will go elsewhere. Uh, people working remotely will find other ways to spend their money and that will then increase that business. It swings and roundabouts. I don't have a worry about it. If people are more, have got a better sense of well-being, better mental health, because they have a better work-life balance, that can only be more productive for Australia and make us more successful. And working remotely allows our isolated island to engage with the wider global community. Mm, good point, Dave. Um, t- as always, David, we get to the end of the session before yeah. before we finish our topics. Um, it's, it's as always a pleasure and, and, and most informative having you on the program. And um, there's no truth in the rumour then that up in those floods you've decided uh, to invest in a rowboat or a kayak with an eye to the Commonwealth Games as a participant? No, but I'm fully expecting in in our whole area to be leading in the swimming team for the next Commonwealth Games, <laughs> as as we have had to learn how to do sort of travel to supermarkets. Listen, Henry, as always, um, it's, it's just a great pleasure just to chat and something like this one, let, you know, without pre-planning anything, just opening our views and opinions, remembering that they're only just opinions based on some evidence but it's just to make everyone think and it's it's just a pleasure to have, have this opportunity with you. Oh, and, and, and ditto. Um, Viewpoints has always been meant to have the focus of a conversation um, between mm. myself and whomever. Obviously, my guests, I'd like to 
do more of the conversing, um, but <laughs> which is contrary to what I am in my private life, my family and friends tell me. So I've done well to actually, through the years I've been doing viewpoints, hold my tongue as many people might prefer. <laughs> and, and chatting with you, David, certainly makes my challenge much easier. Uh, the, the <laughs> you can take that as a compliment if you wish. <laughs> I will do so. I, I, I am a half, a glass half full kind of person. Absolutely. That was Dr. David Roy from the University of Newcastle and the School of Education. Always a, a pleasure to have David on the program. And yes, we do a bit of ad-libbing here. And uh, David's got a, a keen mind and many interests. And uh, we look forward to having him back on the program in the not too distant future. We'll take a short break. Listeners, don't go away. You've been listening to the Viewpoints Podcast, hosted by Henry Grossek and produced by Rob Kelly. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rate us via Apple Podcasts. 